when when Robert Edwards uh, contacted uh, myself, and I presume Reb Gary and Reb Yaakov as well. No, I didn't get asked. Okay, he just <laughs> he bowled into this. He got told not to come, and, <laughs> he, just... and they got you ill as well. And you still came. You still didn't need a message. Tried that excuse. Didn't work. Yeah, they, um, the 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 idea was finding God. We thought at first was like, surely everyone knows the Mafurish Uncle Moishi. He's here. He's there. He's ever up, down, left, right, all around. We should all know this already. So it's a little bit of um, kind of why 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 we're all coming to this session. The idea of finding God, um, just to kind of another good Rabbi Shoshan's good friend of mine from uh, Eretz Yisrael. He's a big sports fan, so he was like this. There was a great footballer called Glenn Hoddle. Got a bit bad in the end with some comments he made and was kicked out of being the England football manager. But he, Glenn Hoddle, uh, Spurs, Spurs legend, and he uh, famously found God. They said he found God. So when one of the other players said he found God, he said that must be one heck of a pass. They, he was an excellent footballer. He found God with that. The question is, um, as Robert Edwards said, finding God in our in our in our everyday lives. I think everyone here in this session, this wouldn't be the. A question we're hoping that people have somehow found Hashem. If you're if you're educating, if you're on the front lines, you've somehow had some experience of this. But the question is, a um, how to build that um, that sense of finding Hashem in our lives, and more importantly, as Rabbi Ebert said, how to give it over to our Talmudim, to our congregants. Um, a sense that for many of whom this is a question that some people aren't even looking, and others who are looking, they find that they're stymied by by many obstacles on the way. So. We're going to go, I think there's a variety of different, there's theoretical, there's practical, but hopefully we'll all get something out of the session. So over to you, Rabbi Yaakov. Okay. First of all, it's uh, uncomfortable to sit in a room of colleagues. Halavai, I should be counted among them and and, and have this kind of setup and much more favorite discussions um, because I really believe in the input of, of every single person, that it's incredibly valuable. And... I feel to- completely humbled to, to humbled to be able to to sit and to share just my perspective, but it doesn't um, in any way negate my clear understanding that each and every one of you can also speak for fifteen minutes about where to speak uh, to find Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and maybe therein lies already an answer. What I'm going to share with you now, Bishyat Rishmaya, in the allotted time properly would take at least two hours to, pr- to present accurately, clearly, systematically, because it's new. It was new for me. I think it will be new for some of us. I'm just going to give over Rashi, Rashi Prakim, and I do encourage you, if any of what I'm saying is interesting to you to come over to me afterwards where I can um, recommend further reading in this in this avenue. So I'm just going to give a, t- a, like, a little taster like you have at the mall. Just a, a little shot or a little perfume spritz. That's it. Uh, just a tiny, tiny perspective. Before doing that, I just want to also recognize the fact that we are in this room. And... Beloved, as, as all the rest of the rabbis are, um, there are others who, who, who didn't choose to come to a session called Where to Find Hashem in favor of more practical, um, also super important matters. And it's not better or worse, but I think it is reflective of a certain kind of neshama. Because I can guarantee you, not because I'm speculating, but because I overheard a conversation where there is a certain sense that a session entitled Where to Find Hashem is up there in the in the clouds, and it's you know I'm saying like well you know where to find Hashem, and people are already making jokes about 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 it. It's painful, right? Because from a certain standpoint, isn't this the essence of even before you can start to talk about how to gradiently bring people into the halachic, uh, you know, like a, like the session we had this morning? I mean, like what's it all for? Right? What what is it all for? And I think that we ought to be very proud that we're mevakshe Hashem. Yismach Lev Mevakshe Hashem. It's a big deal. Not that others aren't, but that there is a degree to which this is something that interests us, that draws us, that speaks to us. It's a big thing. It's a big, big thing. It's a big thing. Somebody once came to Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky and, and told him that he feels choked by Yiddishkeit. Completely choked. One of the questions this morning also was about a person, not it was a Tinek Shinishba because he never heard of anything, but he grew up in the system and 
There's also a tzad tinuk shenishbav, a person who, even after having gone through the entire system, is not keeping Shabbos. That means that, okay, he knows the halacha, right? But it means that something fundamental must be missing for a person who feels no emotional connection to anything and hasn't managed to figure out, like, what is this for? Such a person came to Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, he says, Yiddish God chokes me. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky said, and again, I'm, I'm, spe- I, I, I'm now going to speak rapid fire, very, very, I can speak very slow and also very quick. I'm, I'm mamish because I want to I wanna try to get this out in a short period of time. Hashem's help. Rabbi Yaakov told him, he said, when a kid turns three and he has his upshare, and so we give him a pair of tzitzis, a tiny pair of tzitzis for a tiny body. But the kid goes ahead and he grows from three to four and four to five and five to 11 and 11 to 20. You have to upgrade the pair of tzitzis because if he's still wearing his upshare in tzitzis, it's going to choke him, right? Because, because it's, it's not the right size. So if Yaakov told him, he said so much of the reason that people feel choked, constricted, limited, um, uh, uh, hurt by Yiddishkeit in a variety of different ways is simply because as they grew up, their conceptions of basic concepts in Yiddishkeit did not grow with them, did not grow with them. And sometimes it's not the failure of the education system, but because the educators are themselves products of the education system, they might not either have a really mature conception of God to give over Bechlal. So they stick with what they're comfortable teaching in the lane of education that did progress, which for most of education, I'm running out of all my time here, but for most of education is in the realm of halacha or Talmudic studies, at least for the men. And they don't feel comfortable speaking in sophisticated ways about basic concepts of spirituality, which should sit at the core of everything else that we're doing, which is intended to to anchor us in the reality of day-to-day living in such a way where we can live awake to the real reality that is beyond the surface, which we call the soul of the world, based on the Gemara Bracha, Stavhei Aleph, the Neshama of existence, which is Hashem. So this is really crucial, that as we grow up, our perception of what God is progresses, not the same Hashem that we had in fourth grade. There are three layers of living life with depth. All are good, but they are progressively deep. They are progressively mature. Level one, the world was created. Deepest thing in the world. To a person who hasn't been living in that mindset, just the simple understanding that there is a creator to all of this, life-changing. Level one, God is the creator. We refer to him as the Bore. He is the creator, and we live within his creation. Absolutely mind-boggling and earth-shattering. That's level one. Level two, on a more specific level. A person lives life, really four levels. Level two, a person lives life, Let's start more basic with the understanding that not only is there a creator who happened to have created what he created, but if a person's a little bit more philosophically sophisticated, a person understands that there is within what was created a little bit of the creator's intelligence. On a very simple level, we call this intelligent design. You can take a look at Chavis Halavav, Shar Bechina, or Victor Miller to find godliness within the world in the sense that God created it, he designed it, and therefore his imprint on a very, very basic, simple level, must be on every apple that we eat and on every beach that we that we walk barefoot on and every ocean that we express. I don't know how often we get to do that, especially here, but I don't. But um, but but to f- to feel that a more sophisticated level is to begin to become familiar with spiritual concepts in such a way that we can see nature as reflecting. Those broader concepts. I'll give an example, very, very quickly. An example, very, very simply, which Chazal used, is that if there's a creator of the world that didn't just create the world and then we're in it, so that we should just be aware that, okay, this world is created and there must be some layer of meaning. But if there's a direct link between the creator and his creation in such a way that he would like us to become acquainted with him, so then we start to think about Hashem. And we start to understand, well, what do we know about Hashem? Look at Psukim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu acts with might. HaKadosh Baruch Hu must be incredibly powerful, much more powerful than me, much more powerful than any of us, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu created something that we couldn't even begin to fathom entering into the conversation about doing in any way, shape, or form. It's completely beyond the most talented group of people. 
throughout history, handpicked the Einsteins in every generation. It, it doesn't come close. So Hashem must be incredibly powerful. Ah, for most human beings, again, Mamish giving just a tiny rush, rush perek. For regular human, not regular, but for the majority of human beings, the right hand is the more powerful of the two hands. Yad Keha Chazal Darshan, for that reason, is a reference to the left hand, Yad Cha, right? That we put film on the left hand because it's generally the weaker hand, not always. I have a lefty for us for a son. Um, we accept him. It's total, we're a non judgmental family at all. Um, but he, he's, he's left handed. But most people are right handed and there's a certain strength to that. Ah. So symbolically, when we look at a person's right hand, we say, wow. Again, if he's a deeper person, it says this is reflective of. The might of Hashem. We can quote a pasuk: Yimincha Hashem nadari bakoyach, right? Yimincha Hashem tiratz oyev, which has so many deep spiritual concepts in and of itself. If we start to dig even deeper, maybe this is level five, I guess, if we're keeping track, and I want to get to level six, and that's the point. Level five: the right hand might be associated with the mitzvah of Chesed. Kindness. How do we give? We give with our with our, with our right hand, with our recht hand. Even halachically, right? We're supposed to do the right over the left. So we put on our right shoe and then our left shoe and then we tie the left and then we, and so on. We're always favoring the right hand. So then we can go deeper into the Pasuk. Yimin Hashem, which is the meat of Chesed, Tirat Oyev destroys the enemy. Ah, right hand destroying the enemy. There's a Kedusha Slavia about it. We slowly start to peel off layers. But here's the deepest thing in the world. And here's the main distinction I want to give over to you. And it's a huge, huge concept. And it absolutely revolutionized my amun. I was privileged enough to grow up from, and I went to all the regular from yeshivas. I, I'm, I would be exaggerating. I would be exaggerating in the opposite way than you'd expect if I tell you that the before and after of my amuna was day and night. It would be an understatement of the century. Yoim Amalayla would be an exaggeration in the understatement of how my conception of Hashem shifted when I began to discover the realm of Panimiya Satora. Chasidus, Nefesh HaChaim, all, all four Shiarim, not just the fourth, which is learned in Yeshivas, which is just about Liman Torah, which produces an entire society that believes that there's nothing else in Yiddishkeit than the, than the study of Talmud. There are three other Shiarim. Anything from Rav Hutner, Rav Dessler, it's, and so on, across the board. But really, really digging deep into the deeper roots of Panimius, which is Kabbalah. There's no, there's no way around it. To begin to enter into that realm, which the Leshem quotes, the Rav Yisrael Salanter, says that after 1840, again, all this is, I could go into length of this, as you, you might have imagined, but I'm just going to keep it just brief. After 1840, there's no gather anymore of being 40 years old to need to open those gates. Rav Yisrael Salanter said this, not me. Quoted by the Leshem, and I'm happy to show, you, show it to you inside. Anybody that feels drawn to deeper layers of emuna is permitted in a careful, guided way to begin to taste of the sweetness of the system of the spheros. Again, it might be a little bit removed from some of us, but that doesn't mean that we write it off and say it's beyond me. It's not beyond you. It's a science. It's the science of spirituality. It's the heart and soul of our tradition that there are mock rites in Pardis Rumayim that if a person knows about the spheres and doesn't believe in them, is a kaifer for sure. If a person doesn't know about the spheres and he just doesn't know, so what can you do? But there are mock closes. I, and I, again, I can show, show you this inside. He says, if a person does not choose to engage in this area of Torah, and all kinds of practical questions come. How do I split up my time? Etc. Et I'm not getting into any of this now. He says, whether or not he's a kaifer, he has a whole parak about this. But he says, one thing we can say for sure, he has never tasted the sweetness and lo yira Such a person, kanokala tarakula, if he's missing that chalek, it is the, it's the hein hein gufe halachas, and the neshama of Torah is eluding such a person. Absolutely crucial, crucial to be able to start and again, I'm happy to help to guide anybody who's interested and give shiurim and learn with people, wh- whoever would like. And I'm not, I'm, j- I'm just, can, can channel what my awakening was. Here's the final level. You ready for this? In two minutes. See after the Shemaya. There is a tremendous chiluk. There is a tremendous distinction between representative spirituality, meaning to say, here is something physical, we were using the example of the right hand, and it reflects a spiritual reality or a spiritual concept, which are ultimately divorced, but we're able to draw a link between the two by 
reflecting on it and looking deep within it and saying that it's not simply that the right hand may reflect on a very mature, sophisticated level of, uh, of, of contemplation, may reflect a spiritual concept. Listen carefully because this is super important. It's that the only reason there is a right hand is because in the Shirish, in the root, in the code of reality, which is ultimately rooted in the Kibiachal himself, in the Ein Sof, as we refer to him in Kabbalah, not God or Asha, beyond that, the infinite, which doesn't have the, 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 the institutional implications that comes along with so much baggage when you say God or Asha. Ein Sof, infinite mystery. Something that's a complete different conception of God. If it didn't exist in the code, it wouldn't flicker into our reality. You see the difference? In that sense, it isn't that these two things are ultimately disconnected and one can remind me of some you know, spiritual concept that may ultimately lead back to God. But it's that having a right hand is quite literally a gilui elokus in and of itself. In and of itself. It is an emanative, because we use the word emanation, right? Eman, uh, to, to, to emanate is different than to create, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu suffused himself. That's the system of Kabbalah. It's called the Seder Shtashalist. The chain of emanation, Hashem slowly but surely further clothed himself in layer after layer after layer after layer until we come down to the, to the physical world. And if a person merits to study the system, which I'm still very much in the early stages of a process of, but many young people like me have woken up to this and are courageous enough to begin dipping their toes into a, into a, into a heretofore unexplored realm that changes everything. Isn't in Shtar? I should have silenced that before I said the timers. One more minute to close. One minute. Changes everything. Gesundheitsstark. I just want to, uh, one more example, very, very brief, and that's it. Because this is, this is real, and this is how I, I see things. I try to see things if I remember. Everybody knows four stages of creation, inanimate plant life, animal, and human. Domim tzameachayim adaber. What we may not know is that the Mekubalim tell us these four stages are direct code that is brought into existence, coded into the four letters of Yudke Vavke. It means that the final He produces earth, the Vav produces plants, the first He produces animals, and the, and the Yud produces humans. There is a way of sitting in Hendon Park, which is right around the corner from me, and with this I close. There's a way of sitting in Hendon Park and seeing a, a God, just a, a human, a, a Chinese lady walking her dog and and just making no note of it because here's just the thing that's happening in the in the world. I want to tell each and every one of you, and this is not a high madriga because I do it, and it's not a high madriga. It's just a plugged in madriga. There is a way of seeing a human being walking a dog on grass that grows on earth and seeing the shame yud kevavke. Because she's the yud, her dog is the hay, kevyachal, again a the vav is the grass, and the soil that the grass is growing on is the final hay. And there you made a yichud. And in my tiny, humble opinion, this is one of the many, 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 many ways to find Hashem. Thank you. I, I could listen to him, though. Um, uh, okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something which is a little bit more... Um, we, we discussed when we were preparing this, I mean, the vast, vast amounts of preparation that we did. Um, uh, we discussed kind of becoming more practical as we're doing it. So I'm going to take it a little stage further. So I, th- there's a very interesting chazal. Uh, there's a rabbi, Moshe Shmuel Shapira. He was one of the Gadoli Rosh Yeshiva when I was in Eretz Yisrael, you know, 15, 18 years ago. And I know someone, a Rav, who asked him, what did you think about Revolver? Revolver was the mashkiach of um, Beriakov, which was Rosh Shmuel's yeshiva. So he asked him, what, what did you think of him? And he's quite, this guy was quite a cheeky guy who was asking Rosh Shmuel, so he was going to try and push him for a bit of, you know, like, come on, a little bit, no, come on, a little bit. So say something, what did you think of him? What did you think of the mashkiach? And he said, Chad B'dar 
He said Revolver was a unique and singular individual in how to understand philosophical, spiritual Gemaras. So I'm going to give one example, which is very powerful to me, which was very important to me, and I'll tell you why it was important to me in a second. Gemara says that Kalal Yisrael are fantastic because Kalal Yisrael are amazing because even the sinners, empty ones, are full of mitzvahs like a pomegranate. Now, Revolver notices something which only he does. We see it as poetic. I feel very really that the empty ones are full of mitzvahs. That is like a play on words. He said, no, it actually says something. Take it seriously. It's not rhetoric. It's not, poet. it's not poetry. It says something. It means a very, very important thing, which is very important to me. I'll tell you why in a second. That you can be male mitzvahs, full of mitzvahs. Full means full. Means I can't squeeze any more in there, really. It's full. And you can still be rake. It can still be empty. Which is a really important because I'll tell you why it's important because I, I and it's related to what Rabbi was saying just now. I remember, you know, I went after yeshiva, I went to university, I still learned stark in university, and then went to yeshiva, I got married, went to Kolol. I was learning in Kolol for many years, and you know, I'd, I was being much liak in my learning, and then I picked up my kiddush cut one Friday night, and I thought to myself, as I was saying kiddush which is difficult to do. Just, you're kind of like multitasking at that point, yeah? Because I'm saying Kiddush with right open kavana, basically, uh, and thinking to myself at the same time, when does the mystical experience that Rabbi Tatz was talking about, when does that start? I've been in Eretzal for many years already. I, I, when, when does this start when I get that mystical experience? I haven't got it yet. When, when, when does it... So I, I feel that there's... A, I feel... I felt at that point... I want the mystical experience. I went to Rabbi Brazil. He said, you're not getting it. Sorry. Sorry, pal. You're not getting that. I mean, Rubiakov hopefully will be able to connect him and take us there. But I, 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 he said, but let's build it stage by stage. Let's build what we're doing stage by stage and let's see where we get to. So I want to explain what I think an, an avenue to, to be mamala ourselves with mitzvahs can be, with Torah, with mitzvahs. Um, and it's built off a moshul, which Rosh Right, it was a very, it was a big mashbia in Israel. He gave a marshal that I once heard, which was very, very powerful, which is that we all know the experience. Everyone in this room knows the experience, and all of our, and all of the people that we're being, that we're affecting, know the experience. Where you are on a phone call, and it's a very, very deep phone call. I mean, deep in terms of your nigiyas are involved. You're like emotionally involved, intellectually involved. It's taking every part of your personality, and you're on the phone call, and then you get in the car to drive home. Yeah. Now, in my case, I would drive to the wrong place, right? As has happened many times before, right? But in every, you get home and you're wondering, you're on the phone and you're wondering to yourself, hold on a second, how did I get here? And what's more important is who drove the car because you didn't drive the car because you were on the phone. I don't mean practically you weren't, you couldn't because you were. I mean, emotionally, the essence of your personality was involved in the phone call. It wasn't involved. Your consciousness wasn't involved in driving the car. So who drove the car? And the answer to that question is a very, very easy answer. The robot. The robot drove the car. And that is something that we're all aware of, that we know that there's two parts of the personality. There's one part of the personality, which is the robot, and there's one part, which is you. And you and the robot are not the same thing. And your robot, if you can ask who drove the car, because clearly the robot, and the robot, I'm saying the most complicated computers nowadays can barely drive cars, right? I mean, we're getting to there now, but my robot can mama's drive a car, it can cut people up, it can be rude to people, it can jump lights, it can do whatever it needs to do. That's all of the things that a human being needs to do purely as a robot. But if that's true, then you can ask that about everything you're doing in life. <clears throat> put the kids to bed. So robots put the kids to bed like this. They look at little robots in this position. And my robot says, I need to get mini robot from this position into this position as fast as possible. And it has various techniques that it uses and it applies all the techniques and, and you put, and it's not you that put your kid to bed, the robots put the kid to bed. Now, if you can ask it about who put the kids to bed, you can obviously ask it about who gave your wife flowers. And you can also ask it about who davened. And that was, that was like, oh, oh no, who davened? I know, Baruch Hashem, I don't know most of the davening off my heart. And I say that, why is that good? Because I know when I get to Ashrei, I can get on with life. 
Meaning, I go through Pesukim Zimra, I have, at least at that point, I have to look in the Siddur and read, right? So at least at that point. But when I get to Ashra, I'm like, oh, brilliant, right? Okay, go get a safe card. Go, go. And you start, and I can start, because you might have done all of the, the robot, as soon as you can switch on the robot. Now, now, why is that important? Because I believe, personally, that you can do all of the external elements of Davani, all the external elements of putting your kids to bed, all the external elements of everything that you do in life, and if you don't do them, your robot does them, then you never, ever connect. The minute it's you that's davening, then you will connect. And in terms of passing this over to Talmidim, I've, I've, my own personal experience of this is all of a sudden, when it's you davening, you know it's you davening, because there's a couple of experiences that will happen. Number one, you will realise you don't know what all the words of davening mean. Right? We've all... I mean, none of you, there's much, there's more knowledgeable people than me in this room, and certainly better Hebrew and things like that. But when I still remember my first experience of sitting there at a table, and, uh, you know, uh, one of the people said, uh, What does Ritsei Vahachalitseinu mean? And, well, yes. Uh, essentially, what it means is um, it's a very, very good question. It's a very, very deep question, what you're talking about. Um, and all of a sudden, there's this kind of process going on. So, now, if when you're davening, it's you that's davening, you will have that painful experience of, I don't know what these words mean. And then there will be a movement within you that says, I need to find out what these words mean. And I need to, and people will have a frustrating experience and you'll be able to guide them through it. So that's with regards to, that's with regards to Malay. If you are engaging in the mitzvahs, then what happens is those mitzvahs will be mamalayu. The Sas Emes says a beautiful thing. Sas Emes says that he says, Eila told us Noach. So he says, Rashi says, um, What are the told us of Noach? Told us then shall tzaddikim mitzvahs and maizim tovim. So Sas Emes points out, it's not exactly true. It's not told us then shall tzaddikim. Ika told us then shall tzaddikim and mitzvahs and maizim tovim. It's Ika told us mitzvahs and maizim tovim. The legacy of a person is what he does and the mitzvahs he does. So he says, No. Told, you only have a tolder being your mitzvah and mice and tovim if you did the mitzvah, the robot didn't do the mitzvah. If you do the mitzvah, then that mice or that 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 expresses you, the deep element of you, the 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 essential you, the neshamash nesatabitahirihi, that very deep element which is untouched. Well, that that bit, that depth being expressed in the action, but that needs consciousness. That needs a movement to invest in it which is avodah Hashem. so with regards to the song i'm going to take one more point as well i'm going to make one more point as well with regards to the song hashem is there hashem is there hashem is truly everywhere i hear here there and everywhere hear that hear that sorry sorry okay, no. not, sorry so can i tell you something my daughter once my daughter once asked me a very she was five so she said i said i was trying to explain to her as a, as a good father that hashem is everywhere and she went nope five years she did it as an israeli yeah, so she she said she, 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 uh, he, he's in Shamaim. So I said, you know, panicking at this point. I was obviously panicking about you know she's having a, like, you know, philosophical dilemmas at the age of five. I said, I said, why do you think that? So she said because it says and because because she knew the song Anachnu Maminim Le Maminim. Yeah, ah, it's a good kasha. So I I then hit back with Hashem is there. Hashem is there. Hashem is truly everywhere. Right, and Mama hit back. So so and I kind of she saw I saw her face kind of like slightly confused about the situation. I asked I asked I asked my rebbe at the time, and he was like, hmm. Not sure educationally if presenting the paradox of imminence and transcendence at the age of five is necessarily what we would do. So I said, what would you do? He said, actually, I, I, would, I would teach her that I would just let her stay with him in Shemayim. So I said, so I said, why? So he said, sometimes we're a little bit scary for a five-year-old, you know, like, he's watching me all the time, he's in the cupboard, everywhere I go, I can't even run away from him because he's everywhere. So he said, uh, uh, I'm okay, as, as, as Rukhaku said, like, and as they get older, you kind of develop it more and more. And I was like, how gone to that? Anyway, Hashem is there, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere, right, is very important because I think with this, that's the point, meaning every experience you have in life, you have a choice of engaging with either the robot or the you, or the guf, or the neshama, or the seichel, or the dimyon, or the You have in every avenue that you look at in life, midas, maisim, everything, Torah, everything you're doing, you can engage and you can find the Rabbi Nishalom there if you, if you look with your neshama, but you don't look with your guf. 
So that's a real avoda. I think it's really challenging. And I want to say one more thing before before I finish, which is that in my experience, and this is uh, after hearing Miyakovich, I want to you know, speak to him afterwards. So, um, but 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 but, um, but in my experience, kind of in Vadim, we worked at this very slowly, and my I feel very strongly that a person has to recognize where they are. It's like a really important thing. And the marshal I always give to to people who are growing that I'm involved with is that imagine imagine you would have a raffle in which you would win and it's a it's a it's a charity raffle yeah one of these like geschmacker charity raffles but you can win a really spitz car like a really good car and you've got a ticket and you never win anything in your life you bought one ticket because you wanted to give to the soccer whatever you give oh, i'm not going to win anything and then what happens is you've got this ticket and there's a big like a lane conference they're going to announce the winner they sell tickets at the beginning so they can make a bit of money to actually support yeah so that they, they and they're going to win you're going to win the ticket oh amazing amazing so you got they announce the number and you look at it and you think oh my gosh that's my number and like your heart's flushing yeah and they like call out again and you're like that's me that's me and you're like you're, you're thinking of like you're banged up honda jazz yeah and then you're thinking about this like geschmack suv that you're gonna start ah, amazing yeah and you got and you're going up there to like wait 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 it's like wait you've won the special first prize and you're thinking oh my gosh it's even about getting a helicopter yeah and you're thinking it's the most extra special first prize and then they go because you know this is for stocker so we're gonna give you the reward in olam haba can you put my name back that, now? Now that doesn't mean that's correct. Meaning there is a part of me that does want an Olam Haba, definitely. But my general consciousness is, I'd rather have a motorbike than Olam Haba, right? So that's where I am. Now that's not where I'm supposed to be, and there's a part of me that is not there for sure. But that's where I am. So I have to realise that, and I have to work from there. So um, just to summarise, the two two yesodas. I basically the two yesodas that I feel in terms of finding the ruin shalom are in personal everyday experience. Are you? Is it you or the robot? Meaning, are you engaging with that neshama or are you not? And two is realising that it's true that that's part of me and that's really ultimately who I aspire to be and who I am. But there's another part of me too, and don't ignore that because that lower part will spread all types of tentacles over your mind where you'll start thinking that actually you're finding Hashem when you're not finding Hashem and that will start and that's a really 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 dangerous thing so you've got these two elements and I think in terms of just a tool to give over to Talmidim not that I really have any but but um, but, but to give over to Talmidim is that I think it's very important that people learn how to find that point inside themselves and I think from my experience most people can meaning even to speaking to a from olam everyone recognizes a place a, pl a point where they've connected and they daven or they've a point where they connected if you're talking to a much more secular olam then when they had their first child and there's a moment where they're just connected to meaning and an example that i give is if you're coming home from work and it's raining and it's pouring and you're in a bad mood and you're hungry and uh, and you, you get to your door and you open your door and you walk in your door and everything's going crazy and someone winds you up you get annoyed rewind it one and a half minutes and as you're walking home a little kid is walking across the road you see it happening it's the, still exactly the same situation you dive across the road you save the kid you put him on the other side of the kid his mother is just ecstatic that you saved this kid's life and you're th you're feeling on top and then you go home the same you're in a different state of mind you've connected to something much deeper inside yourself so because you've connected to that thing deep inside yourself now you can deal with life differently you can deal with everything differently so i think that's very important that people are able to find even outside the context of mitzvahs even though we try and plug them into mitzvahs but outside the context of mitzvahs that part of themselves which is very deep and very neshamadik i'm done and then you'll be Malay Mitzvah's Karimim. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it falls for me um, as the last to uh, um, speak on the panel um, after two such eminent speakers um, to try and bring it together somewhat. Such quite nice seeing here in the middle of one of my oldest friends here, um, Gary, who we grew up together in Broomwood. Although some may 
claim we never grew never up. Yeah. Um, and to my left is one of my newest friends, uh, Rabbi Yaakov, who um, not only a good friend, but also Chavrusa. So just to have both sides, it's like you know, past, present, future, all of us together. Um, I think if only there was one place I could... mindful, just present. Mindful, just present. The way I maybe could add um, just to, to, to the two previous wonderful speakers is maybe to make it really kind of very practical um, in terms of the experiences I've had over the past... 12 nearly 13 years working i suppose on the front lines with the kind of people who really aren't looking for god or if they are looking for god um extremely confused angry um and uh hiding and sometimes actually hiding away from hashem the people that i've been um to work with over all these years you know um i'll bear my soul slightly to you now um the word cure has always been a problematic word for me sorry i'll get on um, we've spoken about it a little bit here and there, but the idea of Kirov, like the idea of Kirov being, no, I, I didn't mean to pick on you because you also believe the same thing. I know we've spoken about it many times. I'm talking about getting gold. The Kirov of, of element of I'm here and I'm going to get you and I'm going to bring you closer to where I'm at because you're so far away and I'm so close. I've always struggled with this notion of Kirov. Um, and I just recently came up with a different thought and I'll share it with you now. It's hot off the press. You can throw things at me, Ribsand, if you want. Um, I was thinking actually my role maybe isn't this so much in terms of Kirov, but actually is a Shadchan, is a Shadchan. And the Shadchan process that I'm in right now is that I'm making a, a new relationship bet- between, again, it's potentially, well, it is, it's a really somewhat of a one-way relationship t- to a certain extent, but I'm, I'm acting as a Shadchan between this person here who really doesn't yet know Kodesh Baruch Hu, or has a very warped or sometimes a very misgiven sense of who is or what is Hashem, and and their creator and bringing them together and giving them the tools and information, the ability to have a rich and meaningful relationship with their creator. That's my role. I'm a shatan. I've got to think about actually presenting and, and showing how in my own life, as the previous uh, speakers have said, how I live it in my own life, how I live it myself, how I, I choose in everything I do in my life to try and bring myself closer to Hashem. I'm going to try, try and do that with the people. And I, I was thinking a lot about this session about how to present and what to say. And I was looking over some previous letters people have written to me, some of the, my old Tamidim and Tamidot. And it often comes along these themes of people saying, you know, I never really thought God was a, a, a relevant part of my life. I never saw it as being something relevant. Um, it was something up there, something in the sky. And I was thinking to myself, like, just in, as in Shadchanus, what are the main problems you have in Shadchanus? What are the big issues you have? So, you know, you're trying to make a relationship between two people. So one of the issues you're going to have is you've got, a lovely, you've got a lovely guy and you've got a lovely girl and you're going to try and put them together. But my, one big issue you're going to have is preconceived notions. This person saw them at a kiddish or they saw them at a bar. It <laughs> depends which, uh, which school you're at, right? Or which kind of person you're dealing with. They saw them at a kiddish or someone at a bar. But, you know, they saw them once before at a Shabbos table, so they know them already. That's one of the big problems. I know them already. I don't go out with them. I don't, so, so one thing we see also with relationship with Hashem is you've got this preconceived notion. It's like, yeah, I know God. I went to Cheda at, you know, new name it. You know, whatever, Shul, United Synagogue, Shul, not to be United Synagogue, or whatever it is, Reform Shul. I went to Cheda, so I know already about God. You can't tell me anything I don't know already. I, you know, I sang my Uncle Moshi songs and I cut and paste my, my, my Hanukkah jug, so I already know about God. The other aspect which makes it even more difficult with preconceived notions is that, I think for a lot of people that I guess I, I grew up with myself, I'm one of them because I grew up, unlike Yaakov, I grew up with Gary in, in a United Synagogue shul, where for us, um, you know, the, the, the experience of God, and for most of the people I'm coming through at the JLE where I work, are they come in Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. When you come in Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, and you sit in Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, the idea of God that is presented to you is almost definitely going to turn you off. Because if you think about it, right, what, what's, what's, what's the whole Nusaf there? There is a man or a king in the sky with a pen, and he's writing in his book, and he's writing if he's going to give you life or death. And this is how most people present it to God. So you come once or twice a year, Yom Kippur, I'll suffer through the chazan, and I'll like sit through it and walk out exonerated because I've just suffered for the past 20, how many hours? I fast, everyone has to fast because you need to suffer somewhat in order to get that tick for the next year. I've suffered enough now. I listened to that wobbling person. I had to sit uncomfortably next to the person who I can't stand. And I've done it now. I've got my tick for the year. And that's how people are seeing Hashem. They're seeing a relationship with Hashem in such a way that it's just, like I said, it's this, this being in the sky who essentially wants, wants, wants potentially to kill me, wants to be dead. 
you know, and, and then you, and because of all those, the, the symbolism you get in the machso and the siddha of the hand and the face and the nose and the eyes. So you do think about God as a man. You do, right? The famous story with Yuri Gagarin, when Yuri Gagarin, first man in space, 1961, when he popped up out of the orbit, right? One of the first questions they asked him was, was what? <laughs> made up, surely. That was, was, was yes, it was made up, yeah. right? but they didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Ruin it for you. Which was, now they would have said something like, which means, because I know that, Bogu means God in Russian. Spaza Bogu, or Spasibia Bogu is, thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. Um, so, so they said, do you see God? Do you see God, Yuri? To which he said, Niet. I don't see God. Now let's pause for a second. What were they expecting him to see? Right? The, the Russian ground command. They were expecting to see like a man with a stick, with a beard. And, right? And he's like, no, there's no, I don't see any God up here in the sky. And therefore we can <laughs> successfully and conclusively say that there is no God and atheism rules and it's everything's, you know. So, so but for many people, they still carry that preconceived notion of what God is. Next one, there's because uh, I've got sort of really running out of time as well. And another problem we've got is everyone nowadays, especially the people I'm working with, is what's in it for me? Okay, the relationship with God, but what's it going to do for me, Rabbi? Uh, how's it going to affect me? I only wonder if it's going to be good for me. People are so, unfortunately, in many ways, selfish. What can, what can I get for it out of myself? Again, they don't mean to be selfish, but that's the world we live in. It's like friends, I'll be a friend with you if I'll get something back. So, what's in it for me? Another issue we've got is distraction. And people are distracted to death and they've got so many things that are in the way. Like they may want to have a deeper spiritual connection, but the, the, these things are even in the room right now, but it's killing us, these things, because we can't stay off the phones for two seconds. Another issue we've got is instant. Everything needs to be fast. So, you know, I, I, so the story I, I like to tell, um, I started something in the JD called Soul Fitness. This was already six, seven years ago. Soul Fitness has evolved and, and I, I love teaching it. Soul Fitness is a series of classes. It's become, <laughs> but Soul Fitness started because a Israel trip, 2016 in Israel, Talia at the Kotel, she's crying. She comes up to me at the end of a beautiful Friday night down in the, at the Kotel. Well, Talia, what's wrong? She's like, it's not fair. What's not fair? Like there was a lady in front of me, you know, one of the religious ones, you know, with the whole three head coverings and all that kind of stuff. And she was at the she was there and she was crying her eyes out. She was bawling her eyes out at the, at the wall. And, and I said, okay, and what, what's wrong with that? She goes, and I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't feel anything. Why is it she gets to have a relationship with God and I don't? Why is it she gets to stand there and her eyes start to water? And I was trying my hardest. I was trying to cry, but nothing came out. Why is it that she gets to cry and I don't get to cry? So I said, that's a good question. We walked up together from the coast up to where we're eating, probably this Fadi Center or something. And then I just turned, I said, like, Tyler, can I ask you, how much time have you given in your life to developing some sort of relationship with the creator, to looking for your creator, to find, how much time have you given to that? Have you given any time, you know, in your life? You know, no judgment here, no judgment, but how much time do you give in your life to this, to, to wanting that? You know, awkward silence followed by, I don't. I went to Manor College a couple of uh, a couple of years ago to run a soul fitness session. There, we, we talk about what's more important: your body, or your soul. Right? It's five, five or six kids in the room. Yeah, six formers, clever people. What's more important? What do you give primary self? Your your gift and neshama. You won't be surprised to know that they all said that they're neshama, right? Because they're good kids, and, you know, good yiddish kindler. And they said the neshama is primary self over their gift. Great. I said each one of them. How much time do you give in your life to? nourishing and developing that relationship you have with Donashama. How much time do you give in your week to that? And you won't be surprised to know they all said a big fat zero. They don't give any time to that because that's, it's just, I want instant. If you can make me give me instant spirituality, instant connection, I want it right now. And so this is in the Shadchan role that I'm like, these are some of the big issues that, that I've got. It all, it, it follows the pattern within Shadchanas and also with, when I'm dealing with the people that I come, come up to that want to have a close relationship with Hashem, but they want it instant, they want it now. It has to kind of have a revolution in the way of thinking. Um, and also the problem we have is just rote, the things I'm used to, what I grew up with, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that just bearing in mind, like how much time I've got, I just want to just touch on two things. Um, and one very practical thing as well. So the first one, we'll call it outside in. And this one's called inside out. Outside in and inside out. And this is the way that I guess I've approached it and I'm happy to share this with you. Um, outside in is the idea of just teaching people the idea of stopping and just noticing from, from the outside and seeing and noticing Hashem. So I was in Elstree in Bromachal, uh, where I grew up in. I was there as a rabbi three years ago. So I spoke on Rosh Hashanah Kippur. And I was speaking at some point. I actually stopped the davening at one point and clopped on the on the bimmer because it just I could see there was just like it was just 
no, no, this is not no offense to any of the rabbis that run the, the show. It's nothing to do with rabbis. It's not. It's just a reality. It's Rosh Hashanah Kippur davening. The people go there once or twice a year, and they're all just bored. So you just come to them, and, and I just got up and and, and and I said to them, everyone turn to the person next to you right now. I say, what's the most amazing thing you've seen today? What's the most amazing thing you've seen today? Go. You got one minute. And you have oh, what's who's this weird rabbi? You know, I want to. We just get on with it. I'm going for, for lunch. You know, like if I, I relax. Right? So, what's the most amazing thing today, right? And then it's fun because they like getting. And then this one goes, my wife, and she laughs. Ah, see there, John, right? Yeah, like have a little laugh together because somebody's wife. And, and like, so it's like, what's the most amazing thing you've seen today? And they're stopping and thinking for a second. So, all of you right now in the room right now, all of you, what's most most amazing most the what's the most amazing thing you've seen so far today? Think about it for a second. Right? It's going to be hard a little bit. First, you think, have I seen anything amazing there? And you stop and you think, hold on a second. This world is full of amazement. I was just looking at this just before this. I was like, is it real? Is it fake? Because obviously some shows have to have the fake. South Hampstead, it's going to be real. Come on, let's this is a real plant. I was just thinking, they just look, you know, you notice the photosynthesis, the way that the chlorophyll in the leaf just fills it, that makes the, the, the sunlight, traps the sunlight, builds it, the water comes through the roots. There's just, it's, 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 the amazement is everywhere. Hashem is everywhere, but you have to stop and you have to lift your head up and look. And I, I feel, sitting next to Rabbi Yaakov to quote a Rabbi Nachman story, but if, if I can, but there's the famous, there's a famous Meister of Nachman, one of his, one of his Hasidim was out there in the marketplace, a bussy marketplace, right? And this famous Meister, Rabbi Nachman, knocked on the window and like ushered his chassid in, you know, and he sat with him and he said to him, what do you see outside? What do you see outside? He said, Rabbi, I'm busy. You know, I've got so much to do. What are you talking about? It's a busy day. It's market day. He says, what do you see? He says, okay, Rabbi, I see just people bustling. There's horses, there's cattle, there's vendors, there's fruits, there's vegetables, there's noise, there's hay, there's people shouting and, 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 and cursing. It's just, it's, there's so much going on. There's money to doing out. There's just a whole tumult out there. And in, in the road, so Rabbi, the Rabbi now said, "Okay, I want to let you know. In twenty years' time, there will still be people out there. There'll be horses out there. There'll be sheep out there. There'll be cattle out there. In thirty years' time, forty, fifty, and a hundred years' time, there'll be noise. There'll be hustle. There'll be bustle." So he said, "Did you look up at the sky today? Have you looked up once at the sky today?" And the, and the chosid said, "No." He said, "Not even one time to look up at the sky. Take a look up. To look up." To look up and just see and notice, you know, I did an AA, I'm sorry, Mia Culpa, please don't judge me, but I did an AA driver's awareness course. It was quite unlucky because it was the day after a trip to Poland. I did a trip to Poland and the guy running it was a German. It didn't work out so well because, you know, this kind of just come back from like a trip to Poland. This guy was like, you will drive properly on so So, so um, it was, yeah, so um, it got a bit awkward for me. But, but, but one thing he told me, they said in this AA driver's awareness course was that they've started now having to paint the speed of um how you go on the road they put it down the road it used to be just is sometimes now the on the on the signs that they now have to paint on the road why they have to paint on the road he said they notice people just heads down people everyone's heads are down their heads are down people got their heads down people don't people look up they don't look up anymore so one of the things i'd say from 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 the things i've been teaching out there is really about like looking up teaching people to look up from time to time take a look up look around the world look at what's going on and, and with that, I, I kind of throw in there this idea of the instant gratification. I, I'll throw out to them in a class. I'll say to them, again, well, I'll ask you now, how old was, was Avram Avinu when he found Hashem? When I was at school at Sinai Primary School, right? they taught us that Avram was three when he found Hashem. Okay, And then you think, it's okay, there's a three-year-old smashing up idols. And, okay, there is obviously that opinion. But when you look at the Rambam, the Rambam says there in Hilchas of the Zara, he says that he was 40. So what does that mean? So he said he said it was, th- it was three when he began looking for Hashem, and it was forty when he found Hashem. That means he spent thir- um, he spent thirty seven years of his life looking, investigating, questioning, asking, demanding, debating. Thirty seven years, and yeah, I've got these kids in front of me. Like, yeah, well, I watched a Dawkins YouTube clip, and pretty pretty conclusive. So I said, like, okay, but just give yourself time, like. Where where is this element of like just taking a step back? That's the outside in element. Taking a step back and like looking and investigating and asking. You know, there's the famous. If you ever there's very good marimakom you can use in your classes. I heard it from Rav Amos Luban, a great Rav. Who I know a few people in the room also big fans of Rav Amos, including you. Um, I heard from him this great marimakom is the Rabbeinu Bachaya. If you look at Rabbeinu Bachaya, 
on the Pasuk in, in Dvarim, which we say in Aleinu, Can I have one more minute? Sorry. One more minute. That's the sad thing, isn't it? So, Hashem, this idea of what does that mean? Bring it back to your hearts, going back to your hearts. So the Reina Machai says that because it's a process. When we look at Hashem Trimah, it's a process of going again and building again and building again. And how I saw God when I was three, and how I saw when I was 10, and how I saw when I was 20, and how I see when I'm 40. It's a constantly going back, go back again and seeing and looking and asking and demanding, like the, like the Rambam says. And he, and he brings there the, the, the famous mass of Elio Anavi on, on, um, on, uh, on Ahar Chorev with the, with the wind and the earthquake. And, so, and he, said, he was looking and waiting to see. And he said it was the Kodma Daka. It was in the still, thin sound. You've got to just get yourself to that place where you can look again and again and, and pick up those still, thin sounds, the Kodma Daka around you, and pick up on it and build on that together. So that's the outside in. The inside out, just very quickly, because I've got one more second, the inside out, is just to, just to teach people this idea to stop and to really inculcate that and live that. And one lovely trick I... I, I I picked this up from a sefer um, of Rav Chaim Friedlander Zatzal in sefer Rinas Chaim, which he's got on the on the um, on the Siddur. He says that on Hashem Sevasaiti Tachu Fiyagid Ratzecha. So I told this. I get people come up to me from time to time and say, Rabbi, I still remember you telling me this. I still do it. So I'm giving it to you as well. I'm sure you've had it before. If you haven't, it's a really good exercise. Shmona Esra, in the middle of the day or the first thing in the morning, or you're tired at night. But when you take those three steps back, when you say this word, Hashem Sevasaiti Tachu Fiyagid Ratzecha, you stop them. And just really, just, just in those words, Hashem, if you're opening my lips, it's you opening my lips, not me. I can't even stand here. I can't even stand against the gravity if it wasn't you putting the energy inside me to stand there and to talk to you or to give me the intellectual ability to even talk or be aware. It's you. So now I'm going to speak, I'm going to sing out praise, but it's all you. Hashem, it's such a great exercise before every Shemona Esra. It's like a daily check-in. Just like I'm finding Hashem here, I'm, I'm connecting to Hashem, I'm building my with Hashem in this moment. So just to kind of summary, this Shadchan, like there's so many preconceived notions and, and instant gratifications and problems in this relationship with Hashem. But I really believe it's about marrying, it's about showing new perspectives. And I just this outside in, inside out uh, perspective helps as well. So thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. That was um, incredibly inspiring, uplifting. uplifting. Um, it was also very interesting to see um, three rabbis actually tried to keep 15 minutes. They did pretty, pretty well. It's a new some, world. It's a new world. Really. Some more so than others. And <laughs> uh, also an, an observation that I made, totally unrelated to the session, but um, related to you three wonderful rabbis, was that uh, a lot of the presenters arrived today and they wanted to look their best, so they put a tie on. I was looking at three of you. Thought, What's the connection? Why are you We're doing real. this session? It's about the Phoenicians. Uh, there you go. In case you didn't realize, Robert Edwards is a very observant student. Does anybody have any questions? <laughs> yeah, we got, we got. Yeah. Can you expand on the inside out versus outside in? As in, I felt the outside in was that you're now looking out for Hashem and stopping thinking for words. So the outside is literally like just noticing, like. It's the idea of the art of amazement. I have a class that's called The Art of Amazement. That's what I call it. And it's a book by your friend Rabbi Seinfeld as well. It's a fantastic idea. Yeah, Rabbi Jerry? Yeah. yeah, Rabbi. <laughs> We're like, wow, I didn't even know that. That's a side job here. Wait, it is, Rabbi. He wrote it, he wrote it last year. No, it's called Alexander Seinfeld, who um, it's called, a book called The Art of Amazement. It's a fantastic book. And I know you know him from where? From... I, I heard him give that. Talk. They are amazing. About twenty-two years ago. Okay, Jerry. No, Alexander. Alexander Seinfeld. Me too. Um, the 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 inside out one though is when you inculcate that and you bring that inside of you and you stop and sit things out. Okay, there's the there's the, there's the bria out there, but then this me. I'm the nivra. Mivsari Mivsari from me within me. I I'm a nivra. Hashem has created me, and so from within me now, I'll notice within me just like the fact. Like I said, I can't. I can't talk right now. I can't relate to you. I can't do anything. If it wasn't a Kosh Baruch Hu. If I ask every person in this room right now to switch off your heart. Everyone here, switch off your hearts. Go. We can't switch off our hearts. No one that can do that. It would be, be weird if we did that, right? Because like, yeah. a, is, 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 a Kosh Baruch Hu is running within me, through me. Gives me every morning. The Moda Ani that I say every morning. Just like, it's that 
feeling within Elokai Shama, right? When I say those words, like I'm feeling it, it's inside of me. It's not just outside there, it's also inside of me as well. Not really a fair question because really Rabbi Khan should have covered that in his 15 minutes. So you think he planted him no, taking up the extension. That was a five-minute extension. I feel like we're under attack here, though. Ty, you told us we were, we were in. Because I didn't think he had clarified yeah, that. Question of the, question of the, yeah. I ran out of time. Yeah, one thing I've been thinking about, figuring out when I do my bat mitzvah classes, you talk about what's the moment of spirituality, and I was really struck by mothers saying, I never felt inspired. What would you say are... I don't think that's true. I think people can have to experiences. They probably just don't realize what they're having. They're that experience. What would you say are good ways to identify or describe what a spiritual feeling feels like or an inspiring moment feels like? You can start with our recline. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. We mentioned earlier about the 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 concept of where you're at, you know, like, like being real with re where you're at. I think, um, one, one of the robot mentioned, uh, the, the concept of being, being real with, um, with a person's current state. All of us have had the experience of sleeping and in sleeping, we've had the experience of dreaming. And sometimes in dreaming, you can dream an incredibly involved dream. And then there's actually an Amal Melech about this, which is very fascinating. I'm not going to get into that, I'm have, but there's a normal mouth that says that that sometimes the best way to wake someone up is just to whisper their name, uh, your their, their name in their ear. So I've had this experience where I, I'm a very, I sometimes have to go to sleep when I wake up to just rest from the dream. I have, in, 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 some people dream a lot, some people don't. I dream a lot. Um, and if someone says, in my ear, you're up. That's an intense experience. Rabbi Nachman, toward the end of his life, told 13 tales, and he prefaced telling these 13 tales, which is a whole study in and of themselves. Someone wrote a book on the first one. I'm going to get into that now. Somebody, somebody is, but he, he began by saying that some people tell stories to put people to sleep. He says, I tell stories to wake people up. Now, he wasn't speaking about uh, slumbering people in a coma. He was speaking about the capacity to wake up from being awake. So using this... Um, dynamic that every single human being has experienced, the difference between sleeping and being awake, I would call a spiritual moment a taste of being more wakeful than you've been. And that and that and that has many, many different uh, f facets. And we've spoken about Avodah Hashem, we've spoken about relationships, we've spoken about experiencing nature, to be more awake, right? And, and, and that person, in their lived experience, will know what you mean. That's one way. Again, it's not the only, that is one way of, of, of saying you've got to comment yeah do you want to say i mean just very quickly i mean uh, just on that point about the whole art of maze i just i really strongly believe especially i was in Ramon school last year when i um see uh with um when i'll be fine i went in and i did this exercise with those kids there was parents the kids in Ramon, and i said that thing like what's the most amazing thing you've seen today and the whole shtick where they go ah, like, i don't know i don't know then you ask them to think again and they all and then one of the women comes like you know that's the that you mean i could be spiritual when i think about that flower and like that tree and like yeah that's the and again i, I have to be there's there's a quote that i once saw from Robert abraham joshua heschel he says to be spiritual is to be amazed to be spiritually amazed. now again you don't need to go to a you're like just looking to heal it right so, you know Mara Hashem, Masisa, like to like Mara Hashem. like I, i'm looking at your masim and i'm amazed by it and i'm linking it back to you that's called spirituality and when people hear that they're like oh really so that's some yeah that's called spirit that's so that's what i found really yeah, the, take it back to Hashem each time. Because some, someone was saying, like, you know, when I was in the Alps, I felt really, you know, in something, but they didn't think of that as a spiritual. Yeah, and so you show them it is, and you link it back to Hashem. And and also then what I will do is turn into a tefillah or to a bracha or something in that moment, like, thank you Hashem for this, or some sort of tefillah you can, sorry. Do you oh, want to add no, 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 tool really maybe we have the the power of visualization which is not being something that's, that is commonly used um, considering that we live number one in a very visually bombarded world but at the same time where probably the biggest thing that holds more is all of us back is self-image and how that can be miraculous so i just wanted how you see that fits and, and can you see that being used and how was that a particular question to somebody 
for whoever best takes it. Whoever whoever has the most experience at the floor. Or why not? Maybe it's been beginning to be gross. That's pretty what anybody? I'm I'm happy to jump in. I, I you know the 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 main Mardish Schmeitzer, as it were, um, within from my tiny limited knowledge, all of Jewish history, um, I think I think with I think universally all of Jewish history. And somebody was writing a paper about where his shrushim were, but I think everybody would agree, or whoever knows, right? That the Mardish Schmeitzer of the sugya of Koach Hadimian, um, in a spiritual way, is the Pisat Snareva, the uh, the 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 um, it's one of his fundamental concepts. It's linked more deeply to Nevoah, um, which he saw Hasidus as beginning uh, to give us a little bit of a taste of what Nevoah means, like they had yeshivas that taught people how to be prophets. Um, as we get closer and closer to Mashiach, which cuts very deeply into the whole Hasidish approach, um, and by Hasidish, I don't mean Strymals and Bekishes, but Hasidus, uh, the approach to Mashiach, which is fundamentally different than the standard approach. I'm not getting into all this now. Um, but the P.S. Setzner brought Koach Adimian to the forefront of our capacity to utilize what he saw as the most spiritual of capacities to imagine something that isn't here, that wasn't, that, you know, to, to travel, so to speak, inwardly to a new place um, as deepening and expanding our experience of that realm. He even says in one place, you spoke about Kfir before, which is wild that he, he goes this far, and I'm happy to point out the source. The was unbelievable tzaddik. Speak about him, it's hard to just say one tiny thing. But the Piyasat Sarabha said that if it helps in your tefillah, you can even envision a throne. Can, you can even envision, which is like, I mean, that's borderline. That That's that's wild stuff, right? Can envision, I don't know if he says a king on a throne, does he even go so far? He says, if it helps, you deepen your experience of what you know intellectually. Hashem gave us the koach of Dimyon to be utilized. I'll give you one other mashal because this it goes at length. And I actually, COVID year, Pesach, when we were stuck, um, stuck, when we were blessed to be in Eretz Yisrael for, for, for Pesach, we were planning on being in America. Um, and we were we were there alone. It was just us. Um, and so I had the floor because usually my dad had, was the most a horrible thing for my wife to have to sit through my Pesach Seder and just hear me the whole time. Um, but I figured, when else am I going to have a chance to do this? I opened up Achshar Savrechim, I believe, at the Park Dalit, or hey, did we get to this point yet? I think we're getting there now. We're getting there. So as we're learning Achshar Savrechim together. So, so well, we were, but we are. <laughs> yeah. um, um, a preview could do that to you. So um, the the the, the but takes you through the, um, through Sipri Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, in a, in a, I would even say almost like a med, like a midrashic, a pseudo midrashic way that isn't rooted in any medrash. He allows you to develop, go into the story. What was it like for a seven-year-old boy uh, in Sheba Mitzrayim? What questions would he have asked? What scenes might he have seen? To mamish, immerse yourself in it. And I think really, if there's one word, if I could be so so bold, that summarizes all of this is that Yiddishkeit is meant to be immersive. I mean, it's not something you do. It's not one facet of you. Mm. You're immersed in it. You're immersed in godliness. You're immersed in your kiddush. You're immersed in it. Mamish. So he saw Koach Hadimian as, as, uh, as, as the opportunity to take what you know intellectually and to utilize our Koach of imagination to further deepen the experiences that we're having, but it all takes place inside. And most people think of it as Hashem is just rapping or lighting, or it's an inward experience. We don't develop the inner world; it's, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. That was a great three-minute answer, Rabbi Dansky. To finish, question: um, In terms of many people who, who have difficulties with understanding about God and godliness, a common thread that I've often felt is that there's a lot of people who've had a lot of sadness in their lives, a lot of feelings of sadness or disappointments which they've gone through in their lives which have led them to a state where they are not really able to accept God into their lives or they're not pre really prepared to accept the you know you know the opportunities which are out there and I think it's it's a, a, qu a question of a, perspe a perspective of kind of looking down rather than looking up and not being able to look up so how, how do you help people who are stuck within that kind of depressive framework? Because for me, those two things are interlinked. Inter if you can look out of yourself, then you can say, But if you can't say, you can't do that, you know, you're so stuck in, you, in, in your stuff. So how do you move beyond that? How do you move beyond yourself? Who wants to deal with that in one minute? It's a therapy question, no? <laughs> I it was a therapy question, but I wouldn't mind. I think there's, I, I, my, my short answer, if I, we really only have one minute, it's just, 
first of all, it's the empathy and the understanding that, like, for some people, and, and as rabbis, we, we can appreciate just the famous question the Berdichev um, says that when he goes off the Shema, he won't have four questions, have four million questions. There's so many questions we all have right now. But I think that um, this goes back to the whole instant um, answers. Yeah. When I was on a Poland trip a couple of years ago, we did with um, Eagle, one of Rabbi Shoshan's favorite, Tommy Dem, Eagle and his dad. Um, and <laughs> he got his dad and, um, and we'd been to a mass grave that day and we sat around the corner and his dad, who's from Brazil was like, you know, how, how can this be? How can this be? I need to know now, how could God do this? And please tell me. And, and I just said, look, you know, there's no, I know it's hard as it is for me to say this to you. There's no Google, you know, where was gone Holocaust question mark enter. And I got the instant answer. This is just with time and with patience and with a, like, I, I guess that, that sense that, with all the given all the givens where I see, where I can see in, in in my life, you know, you can relate to people about small things that they can see where they can see Hashem's hand, um, and talk to them about that. But at the same time, holding that space and knowing that over time it takes time. Sometimes it's not there's no instant answers, no answer, and you can be with them in the pain and feel that pain with them, whilst at the same time showing that it's it's a, it's a long it's a long journey. It's not something quick.